0: what's up how y'all doing fans some of y'all are awake some of y'all are snoozing don't make me come out there that's all i'm saying man welcome to one church we're in week four of a five-part series entitled not actually jesus and what we're doing in this series is we're talking about things that many people think that are in the bible but when you really open up the bible you're gonna realize it's not in there it's some really really cool stuff And uh, next week, I'm I'm really excited to uh, have Kevin Phillips, a really good friend of mine, who is going to be coming from Dubai, uh, the UAE, and he is going to be talking about debunking the myth of it's okay not to love certain groups of people. And this is what a big one for churches. In fact, some of you, you've been bumped out of churches because of this, because it's this idea that if people act wrongly, then the church can treat them wrongly. And we believe that is just total bunk. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But this week, we are going to be debunking the entire myth that the closer I get to God, the more I'll feel him. Now, here's the thing about this. All of us... We dream about what could be and what should be in our lives, right? We dream about what's going to, come, going to come down the road. And especially when we're teenagers, we're in our early 20s, we dream about what's going to happen in our life. We look at our parents' lives and we go, man, we really don't want that. But we think in our life it's going to be different, right? In fact, some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're a teenager, maybe you're in your 20s, maybe you're pushing 30, and you're thinking this. You know, when I get married... I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a marriage not like my mom and dad had I'm not gonna split up like they did Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall in love and we're gonna stay in love and and we're gonna have a better relationship than my parents had and that's what we dream and that what is what we imagine and then you know what happens (laughs) we get married right and the wedding happens and everything's great for about a day right? And then you start fighting over stupid stuff, right? And you thought, man, I thought it was going to be different than this. I thought I was going to be different. I was going to be in a better relationship, but we thought it was going to be different, but it's not. Or what about this? As a student, you dream about the day where you're going to get out of school, this vile institution of dislearning, right? And you think, I cannot wait until I get out on my own and I get a real job, right? I'm going to be making six figures, right? And I am going to be living the dream on my dream job, right? That's what we think. You know what happens? <laughs> then we get a job. And we're not making six figures, right? And, and we thought it was going to be different, than what we imagine, and you hate your boss. You want to slit your coworker's throat, right? Um, you don't get holidays off. You don't get summers off, and you're making minimum wage. And you thought, man, I thought this was going to be different, or maybe you're going to be the perfect parent. You're just going to be the perfect parent, and you're going to have the perfect child. And then you become a parent, and then you start drinking, right? <laughs> just saying. You, I mean, I'm just joking on that. And the baby never sleeps. And the baby never stops crying. And yeah, you love your little one, but you would give a million dollars if that child would just sleep an entire night without you. And you thought it was going to be different than you imagined. Some of you, you're at one of those spiritual points right now where you're imagining what your life is going to be like. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, think about it. We're a church for people who don't go to church. We're always inviting people to show up and actually be able to realize that God loves them, that God has a plan for them, and people start exploring the Christian faith here at One Church. And we're always inviting people to make that decision of actually starting to believe in Jesus and then they get a relationship with Jesus and you get baptized and you cross that line of faith and you just imagine what your life is going to be like when you actually become a Christian and you start thinking through this you know the closer I get to God the more I'm going to feel him and if I'm having a good time now that I'm going to have a greater time later with him And I'm going to wake up early, and I'm always going to love to read my Bible. In fact, birds will be chirping, right? And the sun is always going to be shining. And when I pray, everything that I pray is going to come true. And I'm always going to love church. And the band comes, and they play your song, and you're like, Woo, yeah, that was awesome. And then the the, the preacher gets up, and he's like, dude, This dude is reading my emails or something because that hit exactly where I needed to be hit at. And you just think that your relationship with God, it's just going to be magical, right? There's going to be birds flittering on your shoulders and not taking a dump on you, right? I mean, it's just, you think it's going to be amazing. And I want to talk about that today. This whole idea that the closer I get to God, the more I feel him. Because the reason I want to talk about this with you today, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer for you this morning, but I'll tell you, my spiritual walk with God is much different, much more different than I could ever have imagined. It really is. Because I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. And my experience, and the experience of a lot of people who become Christians, is that what we imagined and what actually happened are very, very different. In fact, your assumption that the more you get to know God, the more you're going to feel him, if that's your assumption, I'm afraid you're in for a disappointment. Because I know we hear people say, you know what, I hear from God every day. And he speaks to me, and every day is just wonderful. And I want to let you know, as your pastor, that has not been my experience. And, and, And I'm a pastor. I've been to seminary. I mean, I have went through all the schooling and all that so that I could do that. But it's not been my experience because here's what I've learned. That the idea of the more you get to know God, the closer you're going to feel him has been a major point of discouragement in many people's lives that I know. Many people have, have, have a very emotional experience when they come to know Jesus Christ, and that's okay. It's just like, think about this way. When you first get married, it was a very emotional experience right? I remember on my wedding day, I just cried like a little girl. I did, right? My wife was smiling the entire time, right? She ain't crying, right? Because she knew she was going to get this. <laughs> I was weeping because I knew I could never ever do any better. Oh, that was good. Y'all can use that, guys. Anyway, and you know what, when you, become, when, you, when you first come to become a Christian, it, I don't know where that happened for you. It may have been around a campfire at like a youth camp and you just, you know, y'all were holding hands and there was this closeness that you felt and it was a very emotional experience or maybe it was at a conference, maybe it was in a community group or maybe it was at a church service and it was a very emotional thing. But then 18 months, two years later in your faith, the emotional journey has kind of dried up. And you read the Bible, but it's like, really, that's it? I mean, and they pray, but the prayer seems like it's just kind of bouncing up against the ceiling. They they serve, they go to church, and they go, man, that worship, really, we're going to do that song again? Really? I mean, and then the preacher preaches, and it's like, man, this dude stinks, right? And we start equating all of this stuff with our emotion, and we think, you know what, maybe the fix is I'll just go to another church. Until I, I, I'm able to get that emotional experience there, and hear me. If you're chasing after emotion, you're going to be chasing after it your entire life, and your spiritual walk is going to be doing this highs and lows. And I believe that our heavenly Father wants us to have a consistent relationship with Him. Yeah, there's some highs, there's some lows, but that we're not living our spiritual life on an emotional roller coaster. And I've seen some people serve, and they were excited, and then they kept on serving. And it's like, man, I feel like I'm burning out. And eventually, many of them, they just quit. They just quit the faith. They stopped going to church. They stop serving. They stop reading. They stopped praying. And I've seen so many people go over the cliff of faith. And here's the thing. If the assumption is that the closer you get to God, the more you're going to feel him, a lot of us are in for a disappointment. I believe that we live in a very emotional-driven culture. Think about it. One of the predominant messages of our culture is this, if it feels good, then what? Do it. That's exactly right. And if it doesn't feel good, then what? Don't do it. That's right. If you don't feel like you're in love anymore, then maybe you shouldn't be together anymore. If you don't feel like doing that job, then get another job. We live in a very emotional-driven culture where a lot of our decisions are emotionally-fueled decisions because it felt right in the moment, because it seemed like the right thing to do, and if it felt like a good idea, then we just did it. That explains a lot of our credit card purchases, doesn't it? Seriously, we look back over the bill and we go, what in the world? What, what, how, what happened last month? You were depressed. That's what happened, right? And you thought, man, if I could just get the next best thing, and, and it was emotionally driven decisions. Here's the thing, when you get a little bit older, you realize that emotions don't last. They don't. If you're a parent of a teenager, you realize this, right? I mean, if you're a parent of a daughter who's a teenager, you're like, oh my Lord, right? Because... They, they start going, they, they start having a relationship with a guy, and it's like, he hasn't texted me in five minutes. Do you think he loves me anymore, right? And oh my gosh, you know, he asked me out on a date, and what do you think that means? And it, it's just, it's these emotional highs and emotional lows, and you as a parent, you don't say it out loud if you're a good parent, but if you, as a parent, you're going, this ain't going to last, right? And here's the reason why, it's because you can't sustain a long-term relationship on just emotional highs, and emotional lows eventually, it will fizzle out. And as a parent, you're watching this, and it's just, it's these huge highs and lows. Have you ever talked to a couple who's been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years? You sit down with them, and you talk to them, and here's the story you're not going to hear. We were always in love every second. You're never going to hear that, right? We had, I mean, we woke up, and her breath just smelled like roses, Right? Never, I mean, life happens. How many of y'all ever heard of Billy Graham? Anybody heard of Billy Graham? He's one of the best evangelists of the day. Let me explain to you how every couple has drive spells, drive spells in their relationship. Billy and his wife, Ruth Graham, were married for 64 years. That's a long time, until Ruth passed away a few years ago. Someone once asked Ruth, did you ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? And she immediately said, absolutely not. Divorce, no. Murder, hundreds of times. Because a relationship cannot be sustained by emotions alone. It it, it can't all be a honeymoon. In fact, let me tell you what the word honeymoon means. Honeymoon, it literally means sweet month. You know how long a honeymoon lasts? About a month, right? About a month, 30 days. And then after that, the mess hits the fan, don't it? It does. I mean, people don't live their life on a honeymoon. Eventually you have to return home from the honeymoon trip. You got to get your you get back on the plane, you got to travel back home and you got to live life. When a relationship grows, the honeymoon has to end. You still love them, you still have emotions for them, but it's not always just, oh, ah, it's just not that. And if your idea of having a great marriage is dependent upon you living on a perpetual honeymoon, then we would probably say about you, you're probably immature. Because mature marriages live past the honeymoon and get into real life. You can't base all of your, your decisions on your emotions because emotions are unreliable. Right? How many of y'all want to go to work tomorrow? Let me see your hands. Look around. One person, and I believe you're a child. So uh, we're just going to... We're going to chuck that off. We're 100%. Nobody wants to go to work tomorrow. Are we going to go? If we want to to keep a job, we are. If you don't want to get thrown, thrown into the brig, I don't know what they call it in army terms. You know what I mean. Don't judge me. Anyway, all right. The idea that the closer we're going to get to God, the more we feel. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. Because you don't want my opinions. My opinions don't count. What counts is what God's Word has to say about this. And the cool thing about the Bible is that the Bible is not just one book, but it's a collection of 66 individual books written by a little over 40 different people who were all inspired by God, who all wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but yet all of them had feelings. All of them had really huge highs, really low lows, and we're going to look at one of the most obscure passages in the Bible today, and we're going to see how this guy by the name of Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he was kind of a big deal, right? He had like a bookshelves made of mahogany, right? He just did. He was kind of a big deal, right? And we're going to see, at one, at the, at the, one of his, he's at the lowest of his lows emotionally, and we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to read his journal today. We're going to look at his Facebook wall. We're going to look at his personal blog of this guy by the name of Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's kind of depressed. He's kind of at his lowest of low. So Paul, uh, he's just just finished writing some instructions to a guy he's been replacing himself with. He's been pouring into this young buck by the name of Timothy. So he just got finished encouraging Timothy, and now he is closing his letter, and he's just saying some personal stuff. This is what he is, and, and, and by the way, he, he's in jail when he writes this. Let's don't forget that. He's not on a cruise, right? He's not um, hanging out at, uh, at Sandals Beach Resort. He is in chains, and soon he's going to lose his life by beheading. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. You hear the desperation in that? Please come as soon as you can. Why? Well, Demas has what? Deserted me because he loves the things of this life, and he has gone to Thessalonica. Did you know that people bailed on Paul? I mean, outside of Jesus, Paul was the most spiritual man who ever lived. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and people deserted him. They left him. If you're hanging around Christians long enough, you get the picture of the early church was just so amazing. It was fantastic. There was no problems. Everybody got along. It was perfect. And how come our church can't be like a New Testament church? Well, Paul is in jail, and people are bailing on Paul. We're going to see in these verses that Paul doesn't have a lot of money. Paul is in real trouble, and Demas is like, deuces, I'm out, right? This is getting too tough for me, and he goes back to Thessalonica. See you later, Paul. Look at verse 10. Creason's has gone to Galatia, and Titus has what? Gone to Dalmatia. By the way, that's where they film Disney movies about dogs only Luke is with me. Titus didn't leave Paul on bad terms. In fact, there's a book of the Bible named Titus, right? And uh, that, that Paul wrote to Titus. And we call it Titus. And God moved Titus on, and God has moved Crescens on. And now Paul is feeling really, really lonely. But Paul really isn't alone. He has a Greek doctor who's friends with by the name of Luke. And by the way, Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts, exactly right, and a very intelligent believer, and Paul is encouraged that Luke is there, but yet Paul has had a string of bad circumstances in his life. He's been arrested by Rome because the religious Jews tried to kill him. So somebody tried killing him, and Paul was arrested. That's jacked up, right? And then uh, the Rome thinks that Paul has started a riot, and he didn't. So Paul appeals the ruling, and he gets sent to Rome where he's been under arrest for two years. Two years, only to find out that if Paul hadn't appealed his ruling, he could have been let go years ago. Man. So Paul is in Rome, and here he's in Rome, and and soon Nero is going to cut off his head. Paul writes this. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be what? helpful to me in my ministry. Now, this is so cool. I love this. Paul writes, I need help. So let me just stop right there. If you are a mature Christian, let me tell you what a sign of maturity is, is you can admit when you need help. See, so many of us, we think that to be a church person, we've got to have all of our stuff together, and our stuff can't stink, and there is nothing further from the truth from that. Some of the best things that you can do is to swallow your pride and say, man, I need some help. Put up that verse if you would again. So he says this, I need help, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. He says, I need help, so bring Mark. Now, what's so cool about this Mark? By the way, his full name is John Mark. He wrote a book of the the Bible, too. It's called Mark, all right? So we got all these people who wrote all these books of the Bible, all right? It's all about Jesus, by the way, Mark. Mark used to travel with Paul, and it got really bad and really tough. And Mark said, deuces. And he abandoned Paul. He left Paul. But, <clears throat> but now Paul is saying, you know what? I really need John Mark. He's really helpful. I gave up on him once, but you know what? I was wrong. He still has a lot to give and a lot to offer. He's helpful. Look at this, verse 12. I sent Tychus to Ephesus. And again, we're reading all these weird names. Paul wrote a book of the Bible to the church who was in Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. And Paul was kind of a big deal in the early church. I mean, he goes and he starts his church at Ephesus and Thessalonica and Rome. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's just an apostle, and that just means it's a churchy word for like a church planter. And he goes all over the world but yet, here, he's being really, really vulnerable. Let me just stop here by saying this. This is not my note, so this is free. If you want to be a leader that can be respected, you need to be authentic. You need to be vulnerable. Now, I know many times that's not what the army teaches. And that's not what, like, life teaches us. But think about it. The people that you respect the most, you know they're not perfect, right? You know they're not. But when they screw up, they take ownership of it. They're authentic. And I love that about Paul. So, this says this in verse 13. When you come, be sure to bring the what? The coat that I left with Carpus at Troas. Aren't you glad that you're not having to read these verses today? (laughs) Because I'm slaughtering them, all of these names. Also, bring my books and especially my papers. Now, when we read that, bring my coat... We just say, Paul, just go to the mall, and you don't need to bring a coat all the way from, from Troas. I mean, just go and just buy another one, right? Well, here's the thing. Remember, Paul is in jail, and he probably didn't have any money to buy another one. Winter is approaching. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's cold, and he's feeling abandoned. And, and he writes, I would love some of the letters that other people have written. So we're getting an intimate doorway window into paul's life look at this Says in verse 14 alexander the coppersmith did me much harm paul was always in different cities and sometimes people follow paul here's a guy who didn't follow paul and really kind of attacked him that you you know you can be obedient in your faith and be a godly christian and still be attacked absolutely look at what it says in verse 15 be careful for of him for he fought against everything we said Now, again, can you imagine being the Apostle Paul? He's in jail, not because he's done something illegal. Paul is in jail because he's actually been obedient to God. He's been sharing the message that Jesus loves everyone, and that message is so controversial in the first century, they threw him in jail. People trumped up false charges against Paul, and he ended up in prison. So he is in prison because of what? Because of being faithful because of being obedient, not because he's been disobedient, not because he's been unfaithful. He is in jail because he's been faithful. The people he was counting on has deserted him. People he trusted oppressed him. He has very little money, not even enough money to buy a coat. And let me tell you about prison in that day. It's not like the country club that we have today, right, where everybody gets cable TV and you can go out and shoot basketball, right? No, prison in that day, if... People didn't come and bring, like, the community would bring food to the jail. And if they didn't bring food, you didn't eat. There wasn't three meals. I mean, there was, it was dark, it was damp. He was probably in a cave somewhere, and there were rats everywhere. Now, again, if you were Paul, how would your emotional condition be at this point? Be honest. I know what mine would be. Not good. I'll tell you what bothers me more than anything in ministry. Let me just be real with you, okay? One of the things that bothers me as a pastor is when you see people come in to a church and then they walk out and maybe people who've kind of lived with your life and kind of been a part of, you know, friends and they, they end up leaving the church. That breaks my heart more than any other thing. And sometimes I'm on these emotional highs and lows. I'm like, man... Was it something I said? Was it something I did? Whatever. If I was Paul, I'd tell you what I'd be like. I'd like, okay, God, let me get this straight. I'm here because I'm being faithful to you. I'm here because I'm doing what you want. None of these circumstances are moving in my direction. Huh, I'm out. This is a joke. But listen, what does Paul say? Look at what he says in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. But the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Paul says, I'm not going to take it into my own hands. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm just going to leave it up to God. And then verse 16. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. And look at this next part. And everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone abandoned me. Emotionally, what does that do to you? I can tell you what it does to me. It unravels me. I would pray a lot. I would pray a lot for God to change my circumstances. And if they didn't change, you know what I would be? Frustrated, angry with God. I would be bitter. What would I be tempted to believe? I'd be tempted to believe that God had abandoned me. I would be tempted to believe that Christianity was a hoax. I would, be, I would probably believe that people can't be trusted and that Christians can't be trusted. And if this is really what Christianity is like, then why in the world would I sign up for that? You see, if you begin to marry your emotional condition with your spiritual connection, you would begin to conclude that God had abandoned you. You would have. But you know what? Sometimes that's not the case. I don't think God abandons anyone. The, the fact, the Bible is very clear that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Do you know sometimes God just withholds you feeling him for a season just so that you could go deeper? Just so that you wouldn't be able to rely on your emotions? Here's our big idea today, our one point today. Here it is. You can't equate your emotional condition with your spiritual connection. Say that again. You can't equate your what? Emotional condition with your spiritual connection. Another way of saying it, just because you don't have goosebumps does not mean that God is not working. You can't. You can't equate your emotional condition with your spiritual connection. You can't. And sometimes you're just not going to feel God. And if you're, and hear me, if you're married, your emotional emotional condition, I'm not feeling it, I'll read the Bible, you know, and I just, you, you just, you still stay in the marriage. You see, we cannot marry the emotional condition with the spiritual connection because sometimes you're gonna read the Bible and you're not gonna get anything out of it. Sometimes you're gonna pray and you don't get what you want. Sometimes you're gonna go to church and you go, Man, that dude was awful. Sometimes you're gonna hear the band and you're going, What key were they in? F flat? Right? I mean, it's just sometimes it's not the way. But if you are in that place and you begin to say, you know what, I don't feel it, so nothing is happening spiritually, therefore God isn't faithful, if you confuse your emotional condition with your spiritual connection, you can end up quitting the Christian faith. And I've seen this over and over and over and over. If I don't feel it, then therefore it's not true. Paul has grown to the point of maturity where he no longer confuses emotions with with the spiritual connection. So if my emotions are in the gutter, Paul would say, well, everyone's abandoned me. I went to court. I'm in jail. Everybody's bailed on me. Alexander's attacked me. Demas is gone. Titus is out of here. John Mark's not here. All the other people have left, but God's still with me. Listen to what Paul says. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. But look at this. Look at his spiritual connection here. May it not be counted against them. Those aren't the words of a guy who thinks God has abandoned him. May it not be counted against them. Those aren't the words spoken by a guy who was bitter or angry. May it not be counted against them. Those are words aren't spoken by those somebody who stopped growing spiritually, who's stuck. Those are words spoken by someone who is spiritually connected to their Heavenly Father. Let me tell you, I, I shared with you earlier some of the biggest things that hurts me when I see people leave. One of, one of my mentors who has since passed away, he said this, "You know what? If you let people leave gracefully 95 percent of the time, many times they'll come back." And one of the things, man, there's always going to be people coming and going. That's just the nature of our church. When we're 85 percent military, we're always saying goodbye to somebody. And what we could do is we could be angry or bitter about that, or we could say, "You know what? If God sends you back, we welcome you with open arms. whether you were happy when you left or you were angry when you left because we're not going to count it against them. Paul's faith in prison, his emotional condition that many of us have never, ever experienced, being in the pain of jail. Paul has this alive relationship with Jesus. This is so amazing because these verses started out so emotionally. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling pain. Um, and, And I'm sure when Paul first became a Christian, he probably didn't think he was going to end up in jail with people abandoning him and opposing him. Paul did not confuse his emotional condition with his spiritual connection. Paul says, God is going to be with me in the good times. Paul, God is going to be with me in the bad times. May it not be counted against them because even though I may not feel it right now, I'm still connected to a heavenly father who loves me and a savior who died for me and for them. And I'm still connected to Jesus who forgives. So I've got to forgive them. Look what he says in verse 17. I love this. But the Lord stood with me. Here I am in jail. everybody's bailing on me, but who has stood with him? The Lord. And what did the Lord do? He gave me strength so that I look at what's that could what? So that I could get out of jail and get my life back on, so that I could get happy, so that I might preach, that's communicate the good news in its entirety for the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people, so that they could hear. This is what landed me in prison, but I'm going to keep on going. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from an every evil attack. I love that. Wait a minute. I mean, I've just experienced a lot of evil attacks, and Paul's like, you know what, are you in touch with reality, Paul? Paul would say, look, if I was living for this world, then I am in trouble. Demas is living for this world. I am living for another world. There's another reality here. And if I confuse my emotional condition with my spiritual connection, I would just quit. But there is a God who's with me every step of the way, even if I don't feel him. Even if I don't feel him, even if I don't experience him in the moment, Paul continues. He says this in verse 18. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his kingdom. Why? Because I am not living for this life. If I've got no money, then I've got no money. If I've got no coat, then I've got no coat. People desert me, they desert me. Look at this, verse 18. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Here's what Paul drops the microphone and says, I'm out. And he just leaves the stage. He says, I'm done. Nothing else else to say. Okay? I've got no money. It's all for God? Even if I don't feel him, even if I don't feel close to him, even when every circumstance is against me, it's all about God. And here's the thing as we close today. If you and I confuse our emotions with our spiritual connection to our Heavenly Father, we're never ever going to be able to say what Paul said and what Paul did. But Paul was at a place of maturity where he was growing up in his faith so that this assumption that we're more spiritual the more we feel closer to God, it's just false. It's unbiblical. Let me say this. We get closer to God by obeying, not by feeling. You hear what I'm saying here? Let me sit up one more time, because you're like, none about, nobody wrote that down. That's a big one. You want to know how you get closer to God? You obey what he tells you to do. In fact, this is what it says in, in John. Look at this verse right up here. If you love me, Jesus says, you will what? Feel my commandments? you will what? Obey my commandments. There it is. Jesus is saying, listen, the closer you get to God, it comes by obeying, not by feeling. It isn't about emotion. It isn't about a feeling. Paul grew up past that. It's about obedience. Let me say this. Oftentimes, the most, the most of the time we feel closer to God is around the time when he first draws us to him and we become a Christian And I look back over my life. I mean, I became a Christian at a fairly early age. I can tell you, God did some amazing, crazy, awesome things early on in my life, and I I, I knew God was with me. Let me let me give you two. Let me give you two. Um, the the for four years I toured with a Christian tour group, um, and it was based out of Loveland, Colorado. And, uh, man, it was so cool. I I met a a girl by the name of Kim Williams. She she was 15. I was 15 and ended up marrying her later. Um, I got to see 48 out of the 50 states, and it was all by bus. We traveled, and we did a concert every night. So Monday night, we did a concert. We were in one city, and we we moved and went to the next city on Tuesday night. We did a concert, and we stayed in host families' homes. It was cool. And I literally, I got to see... All of the West, all of the East, I saw everything, everything. Some really, really cool experiences. I'll never forget, I was in California, I was in L.A., and we had just got finished doing a concert, and at the end of our concert, we would invite people to begin a relationship with God, and then afterwards, we would go out and we would talk to people. I'm about, I'm 15 at this time, okay? So I'm wet around the ears, I don't know nothing, right? Don't know, I can barely know my name. And I remember uh, talking to this lady, and she comes up and she's crying. She's an adult, and, uh, and, and she's just heaving, and I'm having a hard time understanding her. Shall I get her calmed down? Tell me what's going on. Well, I, I began a relationship with Jesus today. I'm like, that's awesome. And we had this conversation. She says, No, you don't know. You don't understand. She says, I, I'm a Satanist, and uh, I was supposed to go to my coven tonight, and I was going to be sacrificed. And I'm like, That's weird. Right? I mean, I'm from Tennessee, Clarksville, and that's just a little freaky. So, but, and I didn't really know what to say. You know, I put my arm around her, we prayed, I gave her my Bible. Um, And, and, and I walked away from that experience thinking, man, God. God just, he just totally used me at that aspect. And I felt him. I felt so close to him. That, that, and that happened a lot earlier when I was... When, when I was, you know, when I was just starting out in my faith with God. Let me tell you another one. Freshman year in college, went to Austin Peay State University, and I was delivering pizzas, all right? Well, I, I delivered pizzas for this place called Pizza Munchers, on Madison Street, next to Eastgate Lanes, bowling, all Right, So, um, I'll, this was so cool. It was in November, and uh, I got an order, and, um, and I got in my little Geo Metro. Yes, I was bigger than the car, and... Uh, and was going uh, towards uh, campus because it was a college student who had ordered it. And I was going down on Madison Street. I took a right on 7th Street. That's important. Remember that 7th Street. And I got up to the stop sign of 7th Street. And there was this black big pickup truck in front of me. And the passenger door opened. And somebody literally took their foot and kicked out a woman. Out on the curb. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? He peels off. So I go up to the stop sign and I roll down my window. I'm like, ma'am, are you okay? And, you know, she's kind of wiping, you know, wiping her, the blood from off of her forehead. She's like, I'm okay. I'm like, can I take you somewhere? I mean, she says, sure. So she got in the car and I asked her to hold the pizzas. And, uh, and, and I says, hey, uh, my name's Chris. Who are you? And she says, I'm Kitty. I'm like, nice to meet you, Kitty. Um, And she says, well, I'm a prostitute, and for $20, I will. And that's where I'm going to leave the blank in here because we got kids, right? Okay. I said, well, thanks, Kitty. I says, well, to be honest with you, I'm saving myself for marriage. um, And uh, so I'm going to pass on that offer. I said, but, I said, afterwards, if you want me to take you somewhere, I will. And she was like, saving yourself from marriage? She says, that's kind of cool. I'm like, thank you very much. So I'm sure my future wife will think so as well. So anyway, so um, we go down to Meacham Apartments, and I said, "Um, are you hungry or anything? She says, yeah, I'm really hungry. I says, well, here's what I'll do, is I'm going to go deliver these pizzas, and then uh, I'll take you by McDonald's, I'll grab you something to eat, and then I'll take you wherever you need to go. Okay, cool. So left my car running, because it was November, with the heat on, and I got up to deliver the pizzas, and, the, and now I'm starting to think. I left my car running with somebody I don't know. I hope it's still there. But here's what I've learned. Nobody wants Metros. <laughs> That's what I've learned, all right? So I got back to the car. She's still in there. <coughs> She's still in there. And, uh, and I says, okay, Kitty, McDonald's? She says, yeah, that sounds great. Cool. So we go to McDonald's, and uh, we pull up to the drive-thru. I says, what do you want to eat? And she says, well, I don't have any money. I'm like, that's cool. I says, I'll get this. And she stopped. She says, why are you doing this? Why are you being so nice to me? And I said, it's because I believe God loves you. And I believe Jesus loves you. And she says, I've never heard about Jesus. And that just kind of floors me. It was around November. It was a black, pitch black starry night. So I said, roll down your window. So she rolled down her window. I said, stick your head out the window. So she looked up at all of these stars. I said, do you know that the God of the universe who created all of these stars created you? And she loves you so much, that God loves you so much, Kitty, that God sent his son, Jesus, down as a baby so that when that baby grows up, that baby could die for you. So that all the junk and all the stuff that you've ever done would all vanish. She says, that's really cool. And we talked more, and I says, would you like to pray? You want to begin a relationship? She says, no, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I got her something to eat. I gave her my phone number. This was before cell phones, so I had to give her my home phone number, and I was living with my parents. I says, if you ever need anything, don't hesitate to give me a call. Hmm. What's so interesting is after I dropped her off, when I picked her up, I had to stop my tape deck because I had some Christian music playing. When I dropped her off where she wanted to be dropped off, I turned my tape player back on. And let me show you the lyrics of the song that popped up, that literally, right when I turned it on, this is what this guy by the name of Steve Camp sang. Listen to this. The young girl sells herself on 7th Avenue. I was on 7th Street where I picked her up. You hear her crying out for help. My God, what will you do? Don't tell them Jesus loves them till you're ready to love them too. Till your heart breaks from their sorrow and the pain that they're going through. With a life full of compassion, may we do what we must do. Don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. And Right then, I knew I was in a God moment. I knew I had heard God speak through a song, and through a circumstance, and I went back to Pizza Munchers and said, I, gotta, I can't drive tonight. I'm going to kill somebody. I was on such a spiritual high. I said, you can fire me if you want to. Don't care. And you know what? Th- through this relationship, <laughs> Kitty would call at 2 or 3 in the morning, and my dad would pick up the phone. <laughs> now, hang out with me for a sec. A prostitute is calling me at 2 or 3 in the morning. So I have to have this great conversation with my father. And I told him what I'd done. And uh, he says, well, you're not going out there by yourself. Me and you will go out there. And we would go and we would get, give diapers or money. And she actually spread my, my phone number around to a bunch of her other friends who were prostitutes. And I kid you not, I can't even make this up. Here's my point. We would go out in the middle of the night and we would help people who were in need. I knew God was working then. I still do some of that. But I don't feel God like I felt him back then. You know what? I think that's okay. I think that's the point of spiritual growth. Because if you have to rely on an emotion, then you're immature. Just like if you have to rely on emotion in marriage, then the marriage is probably immature. I tell you, sometimes I don't get, I don't feel God like that every day. I don't hear him speak every day. And let me tell you where I feel God the most right now. I feel him a lot more. When I feel him the most is when I invite somebody to come to one church. And they show up, and they're like, I don't know, is this church? Really? I mean, there's no organ, right? And you in shorts, in fact, right now, I ain't got no shoes on because... It was wet out there, and I would have slipped, and it would have been ugly, right? This is church. This is more like a concert. And people start coming and start understanding about God and faith and Jesus, and they're like, you mean I don't have to be weird in order to become a Christian? No. I think I may do this. That is when I feel closest to God, when I see somebody else, when the light bulb goes off. And some of you, you may be here and you may have hung out at one church for four years, three years, five years. And you're like, man, I'm getting nothing out of it. It just could be that you're still doing this because it's all for you. And you're not inviting people. And you're not allowing God to use you. And because if it's all about you and your feelings, then you're probably not going to feel God's presence. But when we partner with God and his mission, who's after reaching people, then buckle up. Because God will use you. Because Why? Because you're obeying Jesus. It's not just about a feeling. So if you're asking the question, isn't it a sign of maturity that you experience God more? I would say it's actually a sign of immaturity if you're having to rely on that. As I close this, for some of you, you're thinking this. You know what? I am going to start getting involved in serving when I feel like it. And my challenge to you is, you're never going to feel like it. Or if you feel like it now, give it a day. It'll pass. Some of you, you know what? I'm going to start giving, and I'm going to start tithing when I feel like it. Heads up, you're never going to feel like it. There's always going to be more month at the end of your money. But when you start obeying, you start seeing God do some amazing things with your money. And even more importantly, because you've obeyed, you'll see God do some things with your money through other people. That's so cool. Let me tell you, some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to get baptized when I feel like it. I'm going to take that next step with God. Let me guess, heads up, you're probably never going to feel like it. But Justin, I mean, did y'all see Justin? He looked like he was all swolled, right? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I he's in the baptismal tank, and he says, "Man, you're going to have to heft me up because I don't float." And I said, "I float." <laughs> But he's all, he's, all, he's all muscles. He sinks. I float. What does that say about me? I don't know. Don't judge me. Anyway, but you know what? Here's this big, burly guy. He says, man, I'm, I'm ready to take that step of faith. When we were, I said, how long have you been going to one church, Justin? About four weeks. Cool. Some of y'all have been going for four years, and you're still not taking your next step with God because you're waiting on a feeling. Well, don't wait on a feeling. Some of you, I'm, I'm going to get into a community group when I feel like it. My challenge to you is stop waiting on your feelings because feelings come and feelings go. I'm asking you to persevere. I'm asking you to never quit. I'm asking you to read your Bible even when you get something out of it and when you don't. I'm asking you to give even when you got tons of money or even when you don't. I'm asking you to serve even when you feel like it and even when you don't because when you get your relationship with God outside of your feelings and you start obeying, that is when you start growing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and I thank you so much, God, that we can be able to come, and we can look at a guy like Paul. And we thought, man, he just had an easy life, and really, we've looked at it today that he didn't, and everybody had abandoned him, and he had so much struggles. And God, I pray that we would become men and women and students and children who didn't rely on our feelings. But Lord, that we would just be able to say, God, I am here even when I feel your presence and even when I don't. I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to do what you tell me to do, even though I feel nothing. And maybe, just maybe, through our obedience, That feeling will be there. God, I pray that our obedience would not be dependent on whether or not we feel like it. For it's in Jesus' great big name that we pray. Amen.